here I am with Thornada Davis from Detroit, Michigan. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. We're in Memphis, Tennessee. We just, um, a couple of days past the Blues Music Awards where Thornada just killed on stage. You were wonderful. Thank you. How did it feel up there? Uh, it was magical for me. Uh, actually, it was my dream come true. Have you not been here before? I've never been here before. Oh. And I always thought I wanted to come, but I wanted to come if I was nominated or asked to perform. And this was my first time. Yeah. Wow. I think you made quite an impression. Thank you. Thank but I presume you. you're known by many people for your work. Yeah. I've been singing the blues for 30 years, um, but I wasn't able to get out of... Should I turn my phone off? I'm <laughs> That's sorry. all right. That's okay. I wasn't able to... Uh, get to a, a certain level because I hadn't recorded a, a new album in over 20 years. Okay, I want to talk about that, but before mm -hmm. we do, yeah. tell me about growing up in Detroit. Tell me what that experience was like for you. Detroit. I grew up on the east side of Detroit. Mm -hmm. um, went to Southeastern High School and uh, always loved music. Music was going on in my house all the time. My mother and my father played records a lot. and. Uh, I would just sing to the records. I, it wasn't like I went to church on a regular basis, though. But my music came from anything, TV commercials, albums that we listened to, the radio. Um, what, one of the bios that I read <clears throat> said that you re reluctantly attended a talent show when you were 15. Is that correct yeah. to say it was reluctant? Well, it wasn't reluctant. I was scared. <laughs> but my sister would see me singing around the house all the time. And she was in a, a high school program, and they said she said that we're having a talent show, and I think you'd be perfect. And I was like, really? She, when she came home, I remember like it was yesterday. She came in the house, and I'm sitting at the record player, listening to my favorite Phyllis Hyman song. And she said, you need to enter this talent show. They got a band. They'll learn your songs. And I'm like, for real? <laughs> I'm 15, you know. I'm like. I can actually sing with this band? So I went in and I auditioned, and they said yes. And uh, the, actually the guy who was giving the talent show liked me so much, he wanted to put me in a pre-production that was going on right before the talent show. Wow. And so my mother came and saw me perform twice. So this is the yeah. first time you ever sang in front of people? Yeah. Sang in front of a live uh, band? And right, in front of a solo situation. Definitely. Um, other than that, I was in school choir. Right, okay. You know? And and there was always a class that I wanted to be in, but you had to audition. And so I wouldn't audition. i just sit in the girls' glee where you didn't have to audition. Why Why do you think that is? I was scared. I was terrified. I, I just didn't, I don't know. I, kn I knew I could sing. But standing in front of a group of people and auditioning was terrifying to me. And I would always choke up in the middle of a sentence. But once I got that choke up out, I was, go I was on. I was home free. And that actually kept happening. And then it just disappeared, you know. Um, what did you sing on that, uh, on that talent show? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Phyllis Hyman's uh, You Know How to Love Me and Give a Little More. And do you remember the experience? I was on cloud nine. My mom was sitting in the front row in tears, and the audience loved me, <laughs> you know. And I was like, "This is what I want to do." That moment, you knew. That moment, I knew I wanted to do this. I didn't know if it was possible. I didn't know you can make a living, but I, because I never met anybody 
that thing for a living. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of years, I called it a hobby. You know, I think all the way up until my 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 twenties, I said, I, I'm a hobby. I do this as a hobby. I love to sing, and never even attended any jam sessions or anything like that. But in between graduating high school and up until I made it for a living, I would sing with different girl groups, or, or you know, we wasn't making no money. You know, I'd go home maybe with twenty dollars. And mainly R and B, is that correct? Yeah, mainly R and B. We did like Pointer Sisters, uh, the girl group come out of Detroit called the Jones Girls, and we would emulate them. And uh, I just was happy to be on stage. I didn't care if I got paid or not. Yeah. Well, I think it's got to come from that place. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But did you, so, at what point did you decide? I think I can do this for a living, or this is something I need to pursue. Well, at the time, I was with a girl group called Chanteuse, and we were getting a, a name. They were actually hiring us to sing background in studio sessions. And uh, But to be a solo artist, I didn't think that was going to happen either. But I was asked by this group called the Chisel Brothers, after coming to their jam sessions and sitting there and singing background, they were like, well, we're doing this gig, and it's only paying $50, and you like to do it? And I was like, yeah, I'm not doing nothing. So I showed up and I sang background. And through the, throughout the night, they were like, let the girl sing. Let the girl sing. And so they said, do you know any blues? <laughs> and I said, I know one blues song. And that was Stormy Monday. A good song. And so I started singing Stormy Monday. And then they kept hiring me. And I kept singing Stormy Monday. Go, Look, this is how it's going down. We don't do any top 40 R&B. We do soul and blues. Do you know any more? And so I went to my mama's records and started pulling out all the stuff I'd been listening to as a child, some Betty Wright and, and Aretha Franklin's old blues tunes and uh, and even the soul stuff, uh, Gladys Knight and uh, Etta James, pulling out stuff that I, I loved when I was a child, you know. And that's how I built my repertoire. And how did so now you're a full time musician? I've or? been full time for thirty years now. Okay, so but when you first started with the Chisel Brothers, mm-hmm. that's when you became a full time. That's when musician. I became nineteen eighty seven. And what was that experience mm-hmm. like to become this full time musician in Detroit? Did you tour yeah. around much, or was it mainly we, Michigan? Mainly Michigan, and uh, they were working quite a bit. So I made a, a better living than I was before when I wasn't working, and I could pay bills now. Right, a single mom, you know. And got a steady couple of hundred bucks a week, which was a lot to me back then. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, I just kept on going. But I stayed with the Chisel Brothers for about nine years. In the process, people kept hearing about me. And uh, I would do sessions, like with Bob Seger. Mm-hmm. And, um, Kid Rock? Yeah, Kid Rock eventually. Because Kid Rock actually ended up working on my first solo album with Sub Pop prior to me working with him. Right. Um, and people just kept, the rock bands loved my ad-libbing voice because at the time, you know, it was big to have some big, strong, soulful ad-libbing voice over your tracks. You know, Boy George did it, you know. Right. That was the thing in the 90s. And so they kept calling me for it. And so there was a band called Big Chief and they were assigned to Sub Pop. And they said, well, we want you on our record. So I did... Uh, some ad-libs, and I did a, a, 
step out track on their album. And the label liked me so much. They said, well, we want to do an album on you. And that's 1995, 96, when I released Sunday Morning Music. And that was my first solo album. So the first album comes out. Mm -hmm. What are you thinking? But what are you thinking about this album and what it's going to do for you? Sunday Morning Music. For a while, I, I knew I wanted to be an independent artist, but still caught up in my own fears. I'm afraid to get out there and book myself or just do anything different because it was scary. Mm -hmm. I'm a single mom. I have responsibilities. I have to continue to pay these bills. Um, I was scared. And when I signed with Sub Pop, I went and got a lawyer and, and said, look at this contract. I don't know. I don't want to sign my life away to something. And so they they respected me enough. Well, let's just put out an EP. We're going to put out a five-song EP, like testing the waters for me. Can I ask you what you were mm -hmm. scared of? Like, what was the fear based on? As a child, uh, growing up, we weren't raised to believe that the things that God gave us to do, that thing that we love so much, could supply a living for you. It was graduate, maybe go to college, get a job for sure, whatever job that is. My mother, she took care of four girls by herself um, financially. We had the help of my grandmother who babysitted us, and she lived downstairs. And But as far as money was concerned, we never had a lot of money. And so it was about just taking care of your responsibilities. And, and all of my other sisters ended up getting jobs as nursing aides. And I just still wanted to sing so bad. I didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of like the black sheep of the family because I wouldn't do that, right. you know. I was like, Mama, don't you want better for me, you know. And she didn't get it because she was raised thinking, I have to take care of these kids, you know. And I was a single mom, too. So her thing was, well, you have to stop singing now because you got a baby, you know. And I kept thinking, okay, so I went and got a job, was trying to be a secretary. Hated it. <laughs> um, I went to cosmetology school because I like doing my hair. <laughs> but if you want to be a cosmetologist, you got to like doing everybody's hair. And that didn't work. Um, bank teller training. But was it do this and give up singing? Or yeah. could you, why would you not sing part time? Because it was just time consuming. You have to be at rehearsals. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a car. You have to, to be out at night. I got a child, and I'm staying with my mom. And my mom's, with her rules, it, it goes. Right. Well, you're living and, there. Yeah, I'm yeah. living there. So for a year, I totally stopped singing. And, and it was like cutting off my leg, you know? I wanted to sing. And, and my family didn't understand that that was a, a living life force within me that I needed to do. That was more of a passion thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it, it wasn't about money. Mm -hmm. It was about singing. It was and, about and performing that. and singing. I sang around the house, but that wasn't getting it. I wanted to be on stage, you know? Okay, and tell me about that. Tell me what you mm -hmm. get off of when you're on stage. And oh, what... God. The smiles, the, the tears, the joy that everybody is feeling at that moment. And I'm a part of that magic. That's, oh, my God, that's something I don't. I can't explain it. It's about. It's a, a connection with God. I. I think that's what I think. This is what God gave me to do. To for some degree, I'm giving joy to 
to people. And I'm a part of this whole thing. I, I love it. I love being a part of that, you know. And with all the craziness going on in this world right now, to be a part of something that brings joy to somebody, it's magical. So when I saw you on, on Thursday night, you, you basically owned the stage as far as I was concerned. Thank so you. at one point or another, you became very confident <clears throat> on the stage. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that process. I presume it's years in the making and mm -hmm. it's a lot of work to get to yeah. that point. But do you remember when, when you just thought, hey, I, 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 can, I, can I got this. this. Yeah. Well, first of all, I had my, my guitar player, Brett Lucas, and my bass player on stage with me. They've been with me for 20 years. Wow. And... Uh, that right there was, was a miracle because <clears throat> they were there to play for Betty LeVette. And when I was asked to perform, originally I was supposed to be on stage with a bunch of people that really don't know me and don't know my music, so I'd have to trust that they would learn it well. And those girls did a great job with everybody's stuff. I was like, wow, I didn't have nothing to worry about. They're fantastic. Right. But just to be on stage with those guys, it's like home. When you got home on stage with you, then you just go. Right. You know, and now the music, I'm telling my story. These songs that I wrote are, are what I've been going through in my life. And I'm sharing my story with you. And it's, and I know y'all feel me because y'all been through it too. Mm -hmm. So now we're all sharing the same experience. We all, one of the songs that I got to sing the blues, I was chosen to sing this music. It wasn't like I woke up one morning and said, I think I'll sing the blues. You know, I wanted to be the next Gladys Knight. Right. Or Phyllis Hyman, for that matter. But when I was chosen to sing the blues, um, it made a living for me. It helped take care of my daughter. And then all the stuff that I would choose to sing, I related to. And I used to worry about being able to write blues songs. Am I a blues singer? Is this what I am now? And it, it took some while for me to realize, yeah, I am. Well, I think there's a certain <clears throat> age thing, yeah. like a life thing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, to experience life is often to experience blues, mm. ups and downs. Oh. And so tell me about, I, you know, we go back again. So now we're back in that year when you're living with your mom, you have mm -hmm. a young baby, mm -hmm. and you're not singing. How yeah. do you go back into singing? What happened? Uh, a girlfriend of mine <laughs> came up, because I was prior to, to having my child, I was with a group, Joss. And we was just doing top 40 R&B. And, and uh, when I had to stop singing uh, for a year, she comes back. She goes, look, it's time to start singing again. And she was in the other group. She said, you got any friends? And I was like, well, there's some girls that I was in high school with. And so well, let's call them up and we can see what we do. And we formed a group. And that's when Chanteuse came in. And again, we're in the little bars. I was up playing no money. And I got my child. And. And I'm on welfare, okay. um, just trying to make it. So how are you feeling about this? Now you're back in music, but mm -hmm. you're still in welfare. Yeah. Um, I kept thinking it's not going to happen. I'm not going to be a singer for a living. I am going to have to get a real job, and that's when I started going to t training classes for bank teller training. and But at night, going to a band rehearsal and... The tele-training program didn't work out either, but the lady said, I'm going to let you stay 
because this is pain, and I know your situation, but you're really not going to pass this whole thing. <laughs> I understand, because I would come in in the morning falling asleep at the machine. Right. And so I was thankful that she let me finish that. And um, So, okay, that I like doing hair. Let me become a cosmetologist. I get there, and, and I'm like, I don't like doing this. This is, you got to love this. <laughs> you To be creative on people's heads and yeah. deal with the, the mama of this little girl that didn't want me to straighten her hair a certain way. And I'm like, lady, how can I straighten her hair? It's looking like a cotton ball. You want me to straighten it with a blow dryer? It ain't going to happen. And so I had to deal with that. And I'm right. like, this is not for me. I know that was not for me. I, I would leave there and go to band rehearsal. And that's when I started going to a jam session and the Chisel Brothers discovered me. Okay. Poof. I'm a working artist now. And my mom was like, really? It was almost immediate. Because they were working, I started getting written about in, in the Detroit news. This new sensational, phenomenal blues singer. And, and at this point, blues is still a new thing to you. It's very new. Um, but I'm doing it well, you know. Um, and then as the career goes, I start getting more involved in singers with Bessie Smith, Ma Rainey, and embracing that music too and listening to um, Muddy Waters and all the stuff that I didn't hear coming up and, and embracing all of that and Coco Taylor and um, Ida Cox and just stuff that I'm like, I like this stuff, you know, and just started incorporating it in my shows and, and transitioning with from the Chiller Brothers to other blues bands in the city. How easy was that to just incorporate, like to, to really get into the blues and to mm -hmm. to be able to sing it the way you wanted mm -hmm. to sing it? Um, well, when I discovered Bessie, I, I liked her whole persona, the look of her, what she, um, for me, she embodied strength. When you see her pictures, she went through some hard times in her life. And and for me at the time, I, I was at a hard time in a bad relationship and in and out of bad relationships and not being respected as a person, let alone a singer, you know. Um, I felt that and I would see her in, in old videos being abused by men and I'd been there. So I know what the blues is and I grew up with it. My dad was not a nice guy. He was abusive to all of us, all of us girls and my mom. So I grew up living that life, and I, I've known what the blues is from, from the beginning of my life, you know. And I guess the music was meant for me to sing, mm -hmm. you know. And God said, okay, this is for you, baby. I'm giving this to you, and I want you to do this. And I, I was afraid of that, too. I'm like, am I, am I doing the right thing, believing in God and singing the blues? But... Like, was that a conflict for you? After a while, yeah. Um, I didn't go to church on a regular basis, but I was raised to believe in God. And we were raised, raised to fear him. Mm -hmm. If you do this, God's going to send you to hell. And I didn't want to go to hell, you know. So if I sing this music, will I go to hell? But something in me said no. Because people would always come and say, you make me feel good. You uplift my spirit. I was feeling bad until I heard you. Thank you. That's not something that's bad. 
that's not something I, I would go to hell for. Mm-hmm. So now I feel like I'm doing the right thing, you know. And even in writing my songs, I don't really promote promiscuity. I promote being in that situation, but not wanting to be in that situation, right. you know. Um, a song called I'd Rather Be Alone Than Be Lonely With You, where I was in an abusive relationship, and I'm, now I'm up out of it. That's teaching women, you can you don't have to put up with this. Or my song, uh, Honest Woman. I talk about how I was in other relationships, one night stands. Didn't want that, but I just wanted to be loved. And then when I realized that I had to stop being that person in order to find the love that I wanted, that's in the song. And my, you made an honest woman of me, you know? So. How. Being a singer is one thing, but mm-hmm. to write songs is another, mm-hmm. and to also write very um, personal songs like mm-hmm. that. Did that come easy to you? Was did, was no, that easy for you? No. For 10 years with the Chisel Brothers, um, I didn't do any writing. The writing was from the band, and they wrote pretty good songs. Ron Pangborn was a lyricist, and he wrote really good lyrics. He told me he would listen to me talk and just write from my perspective. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's why I liked his songs. Mm-hmm. But when Sub Pop signed me in 96, I said, well, I'm not a songwriter, so you're going to have to find me a songwriter. And they was like, well, okay. Well, the guys had the music. I had a cassette of all of the music that they had for me. And for like, I guess, six months, I kept saying, well, I need a songwriter. Y'all don't have no songwriters for me? And after six months of them paying me like stipend, they like, look, Miss Thornell Davis, you're going to have to start writing or we're going to drop you. And so at the time, that was the worst relationship I'd been in. That's the one I told you started getting abusive. And uh, I said, well, okay, I can write from my experience. So the first song I wrote was the title track, Sunday Morning. At the time, they were closing down all the Catholic churches. I'm surrounded by crack houses. I'm seeing mothers who walk up and down the street selling themselves. And they got babies at home. And uh, I remember church on Sunday morning, people shouting, clapping, and saying amen. Choirs singing songs like Precious Lord, and families come together once again. Now on Sunday morning, church is closed. I don't see the people coming around. Vacant lots around me, glasses broken, and Sadie's on the corner strolling around. I became a songwriter. Did that just come out? Mm-hmm. Wow. Because mm-hmm. I was sitting at my window listening to the melody of the song on the tapes. And I was like... And that's what came out. You know? And I called up my girlfriend and said that to her. She goes, oh, Tornada. I got the perfect line for you in that song. So she helped me finish that song, too. Wow. Yeah. And then how well was that album received? I think very well. <laughs> uh, it, it gave me an, an independence from the Chisel Brothers situation because I felt like I couldn't do nothing else but that to make right. a living. But once I got out of that, and, and I did a touring. We went to Europe and did some touring with it. And I didn't get rich, but... Uh, one of the songs was You on the Sopranos, and I could use that in my promo. And when I came back, 
I didn't have any gigs. I didn't know nothing about booking gigs. And um, Sub Pop wanted an album immediately, and I had no more songs. And so they said, well, how about we just let this go? I said, okay, I feel you. I understand. So now let me go back to what I'm used to, singing in the bars in Detroit. I called up the Chisel Brothers, and they were kind of mad because I left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, dude. You would have left, y'all, because they were out doing their own thing too yeah. in the midst of all of it. But I was the lead singer, so how can I leave? Well, well, we, we're doing something else now. I said okay, so I took a job as a hostess at a restaurant, and people were like, "Aren't you Thornetta Davis?" And I'm like, "Yeah." What are you doing here? Paying some bills, you know. And then somebody called me that summer and asked me, "Thornetta, we want you to do our festival." And I said, well, cool. And I had been doing a jam session with these cats in nearby city. Um, I said, well, who do you want? Big Chief, Chisel Brothers? They said, that's your decision. And I went, you're right. It's my decision. So I used the guys I had been jamming with. And then I gave them my price. And I'm thinking what I've been making with the Chisel Brothers. Oh, Thornetta, we could do much better than that. <laughs> so he paid me three times more than what I asked for. Well, that's, you know, I mean, it's comforting to know that people can be honest because there, mm-hmm. there would be people out there who would say, okay, okay, we'll give you that. Right. We might have to negotiate, but right. we can give you that. And and he was very honest, and he, he let me know you're, much worth, you're worth much more than you think. And from that moment on, that's what I held on to. Ask for what you want. Right. All they can say is yes. <laughs> yeah. You know? And if they say, no, it wasn't meant for you. Right. And I, I started going on, what do I need? What do I need in my house right now? <laughs> Let's try and buy that with this gig, you know, and add on the band, you know, that kind of thing. And so as the years go by, I started getting more and more known and winning more awards and, and, uh, making more money at it, you know, and now I'm Detroit's queen of the blues. You know, who knew that was going to happen? Well, I think, I think the years you put into it had something to do with that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and being but, but what does that feel like? I mean... To be honored in that way? Oh, my God. Because I, I was a friend of the original one, Miss Alberta Adams, mm-hmm. you know, and being around her just letting me know that I can sing this music for as long as I live because other music you know they, they call you old and toss you out and but this music is a, a life long music I can just perform this music forever if I want to you know I, I had the pleasure of interviewing Alberta many many years ago mm-hmm. and she came to Toronto a number of times yeah um, she was a feisty old yes person. she was <laughs> I called like her lovely mama. like just unbelievable and, but she mm-hmm. she she was an um, inspiration. Yes, yes. And I was with her till the last moment, you know, uh, her last gig. And she passed me the mic. I wish I could sing like you here, you know. <laughs> and, and people caught that on video. And I, I never thought how profound that moment was. This is her last gig, and she passed me the mic. In the Blues Society, um, when she passed away, started coming at me immediately and I was like no it's too soon it's too soon and so they waited about a year and they was like Donetta we really want you to be Detroit's Queen of Blues I guess they're trying to get me in there before anybody else starts claiming to be it you know right. I don't know 
But I said, okay, I'm not turning it down. I, 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 I really appreciate this. And they did the whole coronation and everything, you know, which made it feel special. Would it be fair to say that the Detroit blues scene doesn't really get the respect that maybe it deserves? Oh, yeah. Honey. And when you think about the people who've come from Detroit and yeah. who've played there, yeah, um, I've had the pleasure of interviewing and seeing a number of them, mm-hmm. Harmonica Shaw being another yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's some amazing talent from Detroit. But it just seems to be not recognized. Yeah, you know, it has a lot to do with Chicago and the southern states and and everybody who who was famous, like John Lee Hooker, lived in Detroit first. Right. You know, Sun House lived in Detroit for some while. Sippy Wallace, and uh, so we have our own Detroit heritage. But what happened was Motown. And when you think Detroit, you think Motown. Mm-hmm. You don't think blues. But all of those Motown musicians were blues musicians too. First, actually. Right. And so you know, I get it. But we always got Detroiters always have to to kick down doors to get recognized. Even Motown was not that welcomed at first. He had to go through some things, you mm-hmm. know. So, uh, I'm but just... is it is there a vibrant <clears throat> scene in Michigan, in Detroit especially? But like... Yeah, yeah, we have a vibrant scene. Music itself, rock heritage, blues mm-hmm. heritage, jazz heritage. Detroit is all-encompassing with the music. We, I'm inspired by all different forms of music in Detroit. You know, we have... Uh, uh, top act, the, the dramatics. This wasn't the Temptations only. Male, the dramatics, the um, OJ, not OJ's. Um, oh my God! Outside of the dramatics, give me some money. You grew up in that era. Yeah, I guess you got the floaters. The floaters. Oh my God! I used to love singing their song Enchantment. These are all fabulous Detroit acts. Right. You know, and growing up, listening to all of that kind of music and. You know, Bob Seger and Iggy Pop and all of that comes from, yeah, from Detroit. So we got it, but we get ignored, you know. And the music didn't leave when Motown left. We just started trying to make a living within ourselves, you know. So now at this point, being on your own and now becoming a little more confident and Mm -hmm. being recognized for Mm -hmm. your work in the blues... Um, is it easy to make a living just touring in around Michigan? Yeah, yeah, that's the bulk of my income. I've been doing it for 30 years, making a living, singing at different festivals in, in the city, different clubs, uh, concerts, you know, playing concert halls now. I've worked with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. Yeah, what was that like? Ah, oh, that was the ultimate. That was, um, they playing my music too. I gave the, uh, the conductor, John Williams, my um, my songs for my new album, and he wrote out charts for all of the instruments wow. in, in the symphony, and my daughter sang with me for the first time. Yeah. How old is your daughter? She's thirty three years old, and she lives in Nashville now. So is she pursuing music as well? No, <laughs> she's an interior designer. But I've always loved her voice, and I said, "Well, I'm going to sing with the symphony. I just want to ask you a favor. Will you sing one song with me?" And it took her like two weeks to say yes. You know, she's well, like, that's, you know, that's a big, tall, big request. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, come like, sing with me with your symphony. You're talking about mama, is what she said. I said, well, it's a church song, The Greatest Thy Faithfulness. And she does like singing church songs. And um, and it's, I said, think of it. We're, we're giving thanks to God 
for our situation and where we at right now. She had just gotten a new job in Nashville. She's moving to Nashville. And, and this all happened right before her move. But she's not a singer. She's, no, she, she doesn't sing in front of She people. sings in church. Okay, okay. So yeah. there is some singing. She's there. in okay. a, a, a praise team. Okay. Yeah. So this is not a foreign idea. Oh, no. How did she do? No. Oh, she did wonderful. And what what was that like for you, to oh, sing with your daughter? I was proud, Mama. I was on stage, like, <laughs> crying. She said, Mom, you can't cry. I'm a big boo-hoo baby. <laughs> and I have to fight back tears all the time when stuff like that happens with my heart. And here she is, and she's she's opening the song. And I'm standing there looking at her. And right before we went on stage, she goes, Mama, thank you for asking me to be a part of this. I feel this is all in order. Because then she could go and do her thing. She's an wow. interior designer in Nashville. No. So the moment didn't make her want to quit that and become a oh, singer? No, no. She, she, uh, she good, you know. But she still sings. I said, you still got to use your gift. Mm-hmm. So she sings in church. So you've had all these amazing opportunities, mm-hmm. but you're not as known outside of mm-hmm. a certain region. Right. How do you how do you change that? How does that become a reality? I, I record an album. I waited for years because I thought people kept saying you need to be signed or you're great, and I'm thinking okay. I'm writing songs, I'm performing them on my shows, but I don't have a record label coming after me. I don't have a booking agent signing me, because I'm sending out stuff. I'm like, look what I can do. Oh, that's great, but nobody knows you, so get back with me later. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to do that? I am gigging. I done went overseas. Um, so how are you getting the overseas gigs? Like, how are you going to Europe? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, when I went to Italy... I just sent them my latest CD at that time was a live CD that I recorded at the music venue. They loved the show and they, well, we're going to bring you over. Or um, I went over there with uh, the blues legends with RJ and um, Johnny Bassett. And, and so they got to know me from that too. And I'd like I said, I did some stuff with Sub Pop. So it wasn't extensive touring, but I would always go and come back and that kind of thing. But my main gigs were Michigan, maybe every now and then I'd do something in Chicago, but it was all because I hadn't recorded a, an original CD. In a okay, long so time. you don't spend you spent twenty eight years not recording a CD. Mm-hmm. Why and and then what what made you all of a sudden decide that it's time? Okay, I turned fifty, and I thought all this stuff that was going to be happening by my fifty years, it wasn't happening, and I said okay. And I'm being spiritual. I said, God, I got the songs. Okay, now this is what stepping out on faith means. You stop worrying about paying your bills, and you go into the studio, and you start recording, and you use your money and trust that it's going to come back, Mm -hmm. you know. And so that's what I did. Everybody I wanted on the album, I asked them, and I paid them. And I got phenomenal musicians, Kim Wilson. I uh, followed his 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 uh, gigs and found out he was going to be near Detroit. He used to live in Detroit for a while, He used right? to live yeah. in Detroit, yeah. And he was about an hour away. And I said, so you're going to be in my neck of the woods. I 
would love for you to play on my album. And he goes, well, that sounds great, you know. But he didn't really contact me until the night before the session. I booked the session anyway. And it was the night before his gig. He called me, like, what is this you want me to do? I said, just play harmonica, you know, on my record. He goes, okay. I said, I'll come get you and I'll drop you back off. And so that morning as I'm getting ready for my session, I'm all happy. I'm singing my song. And I get to the second verse and I go, oh, this sounds like something Kim could do. And so I immediately printed it up, the lyrics, color-coded it so it would be simple for him to just get to it. And on the way to the session, which is an hour drive, I said, Kim, I was wondering if you could sing it with me. And I said, here are the lyrics. <laughs> he looked at it, and I played the song for him. He goes, I'll give it a try. Two takes, it was done. You know. I know he's known for his harmonica work, but he is an exceptional singer. Yes, honey. And I was so blessed to have him. Once I did that, it all became even more real to me mm-hmm. that I can do this. Because I thought I needed a producer. I didn't know what a producer really was. But a producer is somebody who knows what they want on the record. They go get that. They tell the people what they want. And that's what I did. I said, I really want this kind of vibe. I want you to play this line like this. Oh, that's producing? I didn't know that I could do that. Now, if I had had somebody else that I really wanted, then they would have done it their way. And it wouldn't be the album that it is now, which I know is perfect. And this is the album that you've been recognized for. At the Honest Woman, yeah. Congratulations Thank you. And you also just made Killing at the Detroit Music Awards, did you not? Yes. <laughs> I wanted the best album. I wanted the producer one. I ended up getting all eight of them. Which is phenomenal. My God. I was like, so I brought them here for the inspiration. They're sitting on my nightstand in the hotel, so. That must have been one hell of a night. Yes, it was. And it so was. that... Going out on faith, mm-hmm. being a little in- unconfident about where it would lead, yes. it's obviously paid off. It's quite paid well. off, and it's strengthened my faith and my belief in in God and my my career and in my place. I'm not scared anymore, <laughs> so I just go and do what I can. And coming here, being nominated was for me the the best thing ever. It, I said, if I don't win, honestly. I'm good. I get to perform in front of all of these people who are in the blues world. Mm -hmm. And I know that things are going to happen from this moment on. I'm interviewing by you. (laughs) You know, this is some cool stuff going on. Well, it's a cool place. You know, know? but but I think just, I agree. Like it's award shows are kind of weird. Yeah. But to be nominated is such an amazing thing. And oftentimes people go, oh, I didn't win. Well, I think you've already won. Being recognized for your craft and yeah. what you do. Yes, yeah. it's a good thing. And obviously the fact that you're the queen of the blues in Detroit mm. speaks for itself. I can imagine how difficult it must be to reach out and get to other territories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you were nominated tells me that obviously other people are listening and you've had this opportunity to come here yes. and show them, you know, and hopefully good things will come out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you just... You just know there are times I've been to this thing many, many years. Mm-hmm. And you know that sometimes people come, it's their first time, and it's a huge deal. Um, but, you know, 
I watch you on stage and I see somebody who obviously knows what they're doing, mm-hmm. who's very comfortable on stage Thank and, you. you know, who's earned the right to be there. So it was, it was a real pleasure to just see you up there and kick some ass. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and also to know now, to know the story and the backstory of how long it's taking you to, to do this album mm-hmm. and to, to also kind of struggle with confidence and, and just overcome that yes and to have it pay off which is great and hopefully there'll be nice things that come out of it yeah. have you had i mean have you gotten any feedback from yeah this experience uh, yeah i did i guess I'm, I, I've, I've had a booking agent contact me nice. i've had a label talk to me but nothing yet yeah, and, yeah. and i'm hoping more will come right and i did some great interviews like yourself and uh just getting out there more and i'm going to keep on pumping i'm doing social media like crazy and pumping that more just to say hey i'm still here check out my video that kind of thing you know and in the meantime i still make a living doing this i'm not gonna stop i put on my own show in detroit right i rented out the music hall in detroit and i and i did it myself now the music hall if i'm if i remember correctly mm-hmm. this is a place you opened up for ray charles mm-hmm. is that correct? yes and thought to yourself one day i'm gonna one do day this. i'm gonna do this and when I decided to do my CD release concert, Honest Woman, I chose the music hall. Yeah. It's amazing, eh? Yeah. It's just amazing things that dreams come true. And yes. Yes. It's a real honor meeting you. You too. Thank you so much. And you know, you reached out to me a little while ago when the album first came out. Yeah. And, I was watching your stuff on YouTube, I think, or I can't remember where I saw him. Like, I, I like him. <laughs> I hope he interviews me. Well, how do you get that happening? Send them a message, you know. I don't know who's actually on their Facebook pages, but I want all of mine. Some people have people. Right. You know. But when you reach back and I was like, Oh wow, this is cool. So, <laughs> no, it meant a lot to me. Yeah. I mean I you know, I know of you. I haven't seen mm-hmm. you perform until this week. Yeah. Um, but I know you're very well respected. I've heard other people talk about you, so you know, yeah. it's um I really appreciate you reaching out to me and I really appreciate you taking this time. Like, Thank uh, you truly an honor and I, I wish you all the best I hope that you have a good summer plan is it is there a lot of things going on well I'm doing Briggs Farm I'm doing Ottawa Blues Festival I got some stuff coming up in Illinois I can't remember the name of it right now Mackinac Blues I mean uh, Marquette Blues Festival so I do have stuff coming and we're still sitting out I'm hoping to get some stuff in Australia <laughs> but I, I just sent out some more stuff right. that's coming up later so. well I would Keep imagine there's going to be a lot of good things coming your way so thank you so much for this and um, we will keep in touch alrighty thank you very much Mm -hmm.